1: Hello and welcome to the Roker Report podcast in association with Sunderland Community Soup Kitchen. My name's Rich Spate and I'm joined for this third instalment of our post-Wembley analysis, chit-chat, reminiscence, celebration, whatever you want to call it, by Chris Wynn. How are you this morning, Chris?
2: I'm better than the last time I recorded a pod, Rich. That's for sure. (laughs) I I You sound it. I I can see... I can think, I can process things. I've got my functional movement back, so I feel much better. And it's good to see you as well, because the last time I saw you, we were we were having an alcohol fueled slavery conversation about how great our club was. So it's good yeah, to see yeah. you.
1: mate. We certainly were, and I think we'll pick up on some of those themes actually. I think uh, I think the last thing you told me was uh, to to calm down, because I was going. <laughs> we're going to go up. We're going up. We're going up next season. We're going up. You know. I so about that. I might talk about that towards the end. Um, and we're also joined by another um, another victim of the weekend that you heard on the pod earlier. Um, it's Gav Henderson. How are you this morning, Gav? Still haven't
0: got me voice back. Nah, I'm, right. I'm good. Uh, you can definitely hear us a lot clearer than the other day. I'm feeling better. Although I would say I'm still knackered and I, I'm blaming that on Wembley weekend because I never yeah. normally take this long to get over a day on the drink. So
1: oh, well, that was more than one day, wasn't it?
0: <laughs> well, yeah. Otherwise, really good. Still basking in the glory of Wembley. I can't get enough of it. I've no, I've not stopped watching YouTube videos about it. Not stopped listening to podcasts about it. Every interview, every article, I just can't get enough of it. And I, to be honest, I'm not ready to let go of that moment yet. So,
2: well, Gav, when you're the star of the show, I'm not surprised you
0: haven't stopped watching YouTube <laughs> videos. To be honest, mate. no, I've avoided that one specifically.
1: <laughs> oh, I was doing the rounds again the other day. And uh, um, and, uh Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> so um, <clears throat> you know, we 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 talked about kind of the the whole weekend, and then me and and Bomber and Phil went through the game in detail. I just wanted to get your perspectives on Alex Neil, really, on how he set the team up. You know, some of the choices that were made, like bringing Embleton in, and just I guess how well. You thought we played and, and how we won the game, Chris. You were when I was talking to you at the game. Uh, you were talking about some of the kind of the tactical points and and how Wickham were were dealing with us and how we were dealing with Wickham. So, what what, what are your thoughts on like how we eventually came to win that game?
2: Well, that's news to me. I can't remember a thing I was saying to you, Rich. But I'll, I'll, I'll try. i and remember. I think I had a, rem- a few fewer than everyone. <laughs> yeah, it was well. You know, what surprised us to start with because how well we played in the semi-finals against Sheffield Wednesday. I mean, and that was the... I remember speaking to Simon O'Rourke about it and I think there was surprise in the press as well that he he kept the same 11 against Sheffield Wednesday for the first two games. And that was the first time he kept the same starting 11 in, in consecutive games. But as I said to Simon O'Rourke, he, he had a completely different game plan for both legs, even though it was the same 11 They played a completely different way. And then... And then for the final, you thought, well, since it's worked so well, and those players adapted from what an attacking game to a defensive game, where they kind of dug in a little bit at Hillsborough, you thought, well, he's just going to go again. He's going to go the same starting eleven. Jack Clark's in such good form, um, Roberts is in good form. They're just going to go. We we were talking about in the build up about Clark and Roberts out wide, doing them down the down the flanks, and just kind of those two just run, running rampant on the you know with a big Wembley pitch, doing their thing. And then when the team was announced and Clark wasn't in, and he changed it for Embleton, you thought, hmm, you know, a bit of an interesting one, but uh, but no, it was it, it worked perfectly. I mean, not just because of the the fantastic goal Embleton scored, and we all you know he's capable of that. He scored a few like that, but the fact that he said afterwards the plan was, and he that obviously, I mean, you heard him at Hillsborough where he says we're going to get back on the training pitch and come up with a plan, and they did, and Embleton was part of that by just keeping the ball. Because Wickham, mm-hmm. when they get the ball, they, they can pump one ball forward and, and be in on goal because that's how they play They just get the ball forward quickly, get the ball forward long. So we needed to keep the ball. And Embleton was part of that. And uh, I think the conversation we were having as well, Rich, was the way they, they want to get crosses in. You saw every time they got in behind, whether it was Gooch or Serkin, every time they looked like, even a hint of getting in behind the fullbacks, Corey Evans was there. Corey Evans was yeah. played that role perfectly, whether it was on the right or the left. He just he basically stepped across all the time. So they, they doubled up. They couldn't get a ball into the box and get it on Sam Fox's head. And you can just tell, I mean, we'll, we'll probably come on to it you know, again and again, that Alex Neal just keeps coming up with these game plans, keeps coming up with these tactics that that, that frustrated the, the, what, whichever opposition we had, whether it was Sheffield Wednesday at Hillsborough, Wickham at Wembley, it didn't make a difference and, and it, it, it worked perfectly at Wembley.
1: Gav, your thoughts on the way that Alex Neil prepares his team? Because I saw a, a tweet the other day saying he'd watched 16 Wickham games <laughs> in the lead up to this game, yeah. uh, which someone said you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I certainly agree with that. I've been watched their uh, semifinals. It like, the the meticulousness of of Alex Neal and that attention to detail and that willingness to change the team yeah do you think that that has been that kind of the ability to choose horses for courses has been probably the the thing that's marked him out I guess above Lee Johnson in terms of what 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 we've achieved this season
0: I think there's a lot to it but for me I I, I find that the way he handles himself the way he approaches games just everything about Alex Neal is Premier League, in my view. Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, the, the meticulous nature, I use the word meticulous there, the meticulous nature of the way that he prepares for games isn't something you see at this level. And mm-hmm. it's, it's that combined with the attitude towards how you approach a game that makes him so good. And, I'd, I mean, we, would, we were told this by Norwich fans and we were told this by Preston fans, that Alex Neil is a very astute manager, And you can get thrown by the fact he's like five foot seven, bald, grey-haired, Scottish. You can get thrown by that because for whatever reason, Mm -hmm. you just don't expect him to be that type of manager. But he's very, very good. And I mean, I I was happy to have him anyways, but I I mean, I've grown to love him and I've grown to really appreciate just how good he is over a short space of time. It it seemed very apparent to me from early doors that he was going to be... Um, it was going to be good for us, and I'm just glad it came off. You know, for me, the way that he prepares for games is is second to none. I mean, you've just said it there, Wickham. For me, sick you could probably watch sixteen Wickham games and see the same game plan in every game. They aren't adaptable. They don't change that much about the way that they play. They've only got um a very small squad really, and the players that Gareth Ainsworth recruits to to play in his system. It's very specific, you know what I mean? You couldn't you couldn't ask Wickham, for instance, on... You saw this in the game on Saturday, right? They were 1-0 down, and his way of dealing with that as the time ticked away was to put three strikers up front, try and occupy mm-hmm. the fact that we had... and I think it was Gooch, for about five minutes of the game, had to play centre-half, basically, because they had Hanlon, they had fenwa and Vokes all playing up against the defenders, and their plan was literally get it, launch it, hope to pin us in around the box, maybe get a set-piece, maybe get a knockdown. And Alex Neal's way of dealing with that was just to put Callum Doyle on. Luckily, it coincided with the, the second goal. Um, yeah. And that was the thing that Wickham did in the game. You know, They, they overcommitted going forward and we, we we made them pay, ultimately. But Neil, Neil recognised that pretty quickly and he thought, well, even though it's 1-0, I'm going to put a centre-half on. Now, in the past, Sunderland managers will have done that and we'd have judged them for it. When I oh, forgot how negative is he bringing on a defender. We're only one 0 up, but with Alex Neal, you know exactly the thought process that's gone into everything that he's doing. And to me, I just, I just think he's, um, he's a cut above. And we're starting to, I think we're recognising that more now. The game's finished in uh, right across the board in some of the players yeah. that we signed in terms of you know Alex Pritchard and stuff. There's uh, Danny Bart, for instance going from being one of Stoke's top earners to coming here on a modest wage just to drop to play football for us. Because all these people came to Sunderland having been sold on the idea we will go up this season and next year will be a very solid championship team. And for me, that is what cuts him apart from the rest is that he isn't a League One manager. He knows he isn't. He said said as much after the game, didn't he? He said, I didn't want to come here and manage in League One. So to him, he had to get out this season. I think we would have lost him personally if we didn't get promoted. I think he'd be gone oh, this yeah, summer.
2: Yeah.
0: And um just just yeah, overall he's a he's a top class manager who we're very, very lucky to have.
2: Just to build on that that point, Gav, you were talking about on how he handles himself. I was you know, I was so impressed before in the build-up to, to Wembley, just on how he was kind of low balling the game. And I, I know what sounds mm-hmm. and he was obviously doing it in the press conferences, you know, the press obviously wanted to build it up. And you know how big, I mean, we know from experience how big Sunderland fans make a trip to Wembley. The games at Wembley are always big, but Sunderland fans seem to amplify them to something even bigger. And the the, the media was building it up. They were trying to build it up into this huge thing, you know, or it's a, you know. It's a massive game for Sunderland, all this sort of stuff. I mean, I was talking to Sam O'Rourke about the possibility of it affecting us for the next five, ten years and all this sort of stuff. But he was just so cool in the press conferences. He just played it all down saying... It's a game of football. You know, the, the lads know it's a game of football. They're just going to go out, execute a plan and we'll, we'll do the business. It's as simple as that. And he just kept on with this, you know, mantra all the time of don't worry, it's a game of football, it's a game of football. And when when the players went out on the pitch, you know, you saw them all smiling and stuff, just looking at the fans and all this sort of stuff in the in the National Anthem and all this sort of stuff, that how relaxed they were. He, the way he was before the game obviously got through to them because they were relaxed. And you've, we've seen teams under Jack Ross and Lee Johnson at Wembley where, I mean, even against Tranmere a little bit, I know we won, but we kind of, we weren't brilliant. We tensed up a little bit, but against Wickham, the players just went out and played and just executed the plan. And, and then it's funny because you saw him after the game and after the game, when he was given interviews, he clearly realised the size of the game and he re- reacted to the size of the game afterwards. So <laughs> it was just, I mean, how he was before the game. I mean, because... I'm not sure I would have been able to hold it together as a, as a fan like that, like he did. But it obviously went through to the players, and that the players went out in almost exactly the same kind of frame of mind as the manager did, which I think is you know testament to, to Alex Neal's management. I think
0: how smart was that by him though? Like, have you ever seen a manager approach anything like that? That's where, and I know we're gonna we're gonna cross over quite a bit here with Lee Johnson because obviously we've got to talk about Lee Johnson. He was our manager for half a season. But that's where Johnson was very different. He would always speak at length about everything, pretty much, he was asked. Mm
2: -hmm. And
0: I I just know in my mind that had he been asked about the the size of the occasion, the expectation from supporters in the wider footballing world around the occasion and and all these other things, I, I just feel as though Lee Johnson would have acknowledged the fact that, yes, it is a big occasion. Yes, we have lost there numerous times with fans in the ground and all these other things, I think Lee Johnson would have, would have probably given the sound bites to the press that we're looking for. And that would have definitely ramped up the pressure, even, even without knowing it, really. It would have ramped up the pressure around the occasion for the players. And although, obviously, Alex, Alex Neil's his own man, as he's repeated you know on numerous occasions, he recognised very early that he has to play all of these things down to ensure that the players go into the game with the frame of mind he needs them to. And that was unbelievable management. Like, I, I'll be honest, I can't remember a Sunderland manager ever doing that. And yeah. to me, that gives, us, that gives me hope going forward that not only is he the right man for the job going forward, but that when we're faced with similar situations in the championship, he'll handle it much the same way and we'll be well prepared for it. And he ultimately is the right man to lead this club for a number of years not just for the next 18 months or so for a number of years because I I don't know that there's that many managers out there who would approach anything in the way he did
1: it's a really good point it does lead on to the kind of the the next thing i wanted to talk to you is about which i guess is in general that that kind of question that hangs over all football what what is the the kind of the 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 ratio of manager to player for in terms of Success. How how much does a strong squad ultimately get the points over a manager? And and the bit the big question really, Chris. You know, we were on the thirtieth of January when when Lee Johnson was sacked. We were third on fifty four points from twenty nine games. Wigan and Rotherham had um, one or two points more than us, but with four and two games in hand on us, and everyone else in the league had played a similar amount of games to us. So. Given that, do you think Lee Johnson would have taken us up? That's
2: it. I know it's a counterfactual,
1: isn't oh, it? It's no, a really no, difficult it, one. It, but
2: it, it is. But I, I think I think under I think under Lee Johnson we'd have we'd have ended up in the playoffs. And mm-hmm. after that, I think the playoffs are such a lottery that I think it would have depended on on our form going into it. Because the the, the problem is it took it, it took Alex Neil to go, what was it? I think, well, we ended up going sixteen. So what's our thirteen unbeaten at the end of the season just to make the playoffs. And we only we only mm-hmm. secured that on the last day of the season. But that was that was because of um you know Lee Johnson was sacked after Bolton. And then after that we we got beat off Doncaster, got beat off Cheltenham, drew against Wimbledon, got beat off MK Dons, and then drew against Burton. So we didn't win for the, the five games following that Bolton game. So it put us in a position where Actually, because everyone was in such good form, the you know the Plymouths, the the um, the Sheffield Wednesdays, all of those guys were in such good form. It took us thirteen games to you know needing to go and beat and to actually make the playoffs. But I mm-hmm. I don't think because of the turmoil, and I think again I mean I go back to Simon O'Rourke, what he says that the way that we dealt with the Johnson leaving in the build up to that Doncaster game, the Cheltenham game, you know I, I think he hit the nail on the head where he, if you're lining someone up, you line someone up. I know it's, it doesn't sound great, and it might not be the best kind of the moral way to, to to do it. But if you know we lined him up and went into the uh, the Doncaster and Cheltenham game with Lee Johnson in charge, we probably would have gotten at least four points in those games, and maybe not needed to to go on that run of thirteen unbeaten to make the playoffs. So I still think if if Lee Johnson had he I, I still think we'd have made a playoffs and with the playoffs who knows because you know a, a red card or a you know goal off somebody's backside or the back of their head or something like that anything can happen in in the playoffs so so yeah i mean it's it's a toss of a coin he he'd have gotten us in the mix um but uh, but but yeah i mean and, and the other thing as well i mean you just never know because um if you look at alex neil's run you could argue that yes fantastic he got us organized you know in, in most of those those games, but if you look back to some of those early early games, I mean, huge moments that the likes of Burton Albion at home going into the Wigan game. You know, we got a last minute equaliser against Burton at home, Ross Stewart. If we'd gone two straight defeats in Alex Neal's first three games because he drew against Wimbledon, and then if he'd got beat off MK Dons and Burton at home, two straight home defeats going into that Wigan game. So that that Ross Stewart goal against Burton was absolutely huge, and then you talk about. The luck, the little bit of luck that you need on the way. I mean, it, it was like going into the playoff final. Something like forty percent of all goals scored under Alex Neal came in the last ten minutes of the game. So you're talking about those little bits of luck here and there that you need. I mean, you mm-hmm. can do you can do all the organisation you like, but you know sometimes you just need those those moments to go the, the right way, and and all, under Alex Neal it did. And by the end, and I think I mentioned this going into the the, the playoffs that we've done it so many times that it clearly wasn't a fluke. Alex Neal's trained these players to, you know, doesn't matter if we're 1-1, one, 1-0 one, one down or whatever going into the last few minutes. You know, you can grab a goal, you're good enough. So it clearly wasn't a fluke by the end. But uh, but yeah, I mean, to, to answer your original question, um, he would have gotten in the playoffs, I think. But after that, it's a toss of a coin. Gav, do
1: you have a view on uh, whether we would have still gone up? My thoughts are just kind of reflecting on what Chris said. I think we we could well have still gone up but it would have been a very different path. I think yeah. that if we got in the playoffs it wouldn't have been, you know, conceding one goal in three games. No. um and scoring uh, sc- not scoring that many and not conceding that many it, it would have been a little bit more hairy and <laughs> maybe we wouldn't have been uh, quite so uh, confident going into that final.
0: I remember seeing when when he was appointed a couple of times that I just felt more confident that if we did end up in the playoffs, which at the time I'd sort of resigned myself to, that I was more confident of us navigating through it with Alex Neal than I would have been with Lee Johnson. That's Mm -hmm. not to say Lee Johnson wouldn't have won the playoffs. I just felt, even at the start of his reign, that we were more likely to get promoted with Alex Neal through the playoffs than we would with Lee Johnson. Ultimately, that's what happened. And you're right, there were a number of occasions like the Burton game, you know, all those last minute goals and stuff where results could have been very different had it not been for a key moment in the game late on. But I just don't feel in my heart of hearts that Lee Johnson would have, would have beaten Wickham for instance. I just don't, Mm. even though he he managed it in the league. I'll go back to what I said before. I, I just, I don't feel, and I could be wrong. You know, there's no way of actually measuring this, no, that's counterfactual, isn't it? Yeah. But I just I don't think we'd have approached the game in the same way. I think mentally would have been very different. I think the side would have looked very different. Um, you probably would have had a, a very different looking defence. You know, Dan Neal probably would have featured a lot more through the season than he has under Alex Neal and things like that. And like I say, that's not to say that Lee Johnson wouldn't have got us promoted. But like the question I asked myself, even right at the start of, of Alex Neal's reign, was do I think we'd have a better chance going up under Alex Neil through the playoffs? And that, I, I said even then, yes. And I, I presume that's the question the club asked themselves when they sacked Lee Johnson was, deep down, do we really feel as though this guy's going to get us promoted? If it comes to it and we don't finish in the top two, is he the manager to navigate you through the playoffs? And ultimately, you know, there's, there's no way of actually judging that. But I think... I I, I can't speak for all of us, I can't speak for every Sunderland fan, but I felt a lot more assured, having heard Alex Neal's crack the first couple of times that we heard from him, that he would probably be more likely to get Sunderland up through the playoffs, and I I guess it paid off in the end.
2: Just to throw a question at you two, do you think the biggest difference between Lee Johnson and Alex Neal was that Lee Johnson had a plan and a way of playing that didn't, really consider the opposition he just stuck to his guns and said we're going to play this way I don't care who we're playing whereas Alex Neil was more pragmatic and saying well I'm going to think about the opposition and I'm going to get a plan that's specific to to who we're playing
1: I think it's an interesting question obviously we heard a lot from Lee Johnson about philosophy and identity which were the things that he was brought in to provide the, the club if you listen you know back to what Christian Speakman said, who, who we'll come on to in a minute, that is what he was employed to do um, and to kind of take this squad of talented players that had been assembled and give them a way of playing that would be exciting and would be that kind of that free-flowing, in football that Sunderland fans want or wanted, especially as a contrast to Phil Parkinson, which was, was, you know, was very much routine League One fare, uh, under under park I think you, you're probably right in that he was trying to implement a way of playing, regardless of, regardless of the opposition, regardless of almost the circumstances. And and I think when it came down to it, and when it when it started to fall apart, it was regardless of the personnel. Because I think one thing that we uh, neglect sometimes to remember is that we'd had some some pretty um, bad. Time with injury and with COVID coming in at the time where it all started to go a little bit. Um, Pete Tong for for Lee Johnson, you know, losing key players, he kept playing in the same way. And yeah, I don't think Alex Neil would have. I think he, he very much a kind of a horses for courses. Gav,
0: yeah. Well, I mean, I'm just looking back through the the league positions that we had throughout the season, and under Lee Johnson bar very early on when we lost to Burton in August. Um, we were never outside of the top six under Lee Johnson. So, you know, we probably are doing him a disservice in in some way by saying you know, maybe we wouldn't have got promoted under him because the evidence was when he was our manager that we were in and around those top six positions pretty much, you know, consistently from when we beat Wickham in August and went top. Um, we fluctuated between sort of first, second, first, second, and then we, <clears throat> then we. Uh, as we came into that that end of October slash start of November period where we lost uh Rotherham and, and Chef Wed, and then lost in the FA Cup to Mansfield and, and so on and so on. That's sort of when the, the buff has hit and people started to doubt him. Even then, we were still fifth, sixth in the table. Then we picked back up around the start of the year. We went back to the top of the table. And then by the time he lost his job, we were third. But going into that game against Bolton where we lost 6-0, we were second. And that was... When we beat Chef Wed on the 30th of December, it was 30 days or so, I think, uh, before yeah. he lost his job, and we were top of the table then. So it, I don't think he was being judged specifically on, on results, on, well, sorry, not just results, but the position we were in the table. The position we were in the table was great. Like, if, on paper, that looks great. Obviously, there were, there were underlying issues there, and they felt they needed a specific type of manager to take us to the end of the season because Lee Johnson on the evidence of it was doing a fine job, but, you know, it, it wasn't obviously just about where we were on the table. It was about where are we going to be in a month, in two months from here.
1: Then I guess we need to talk about Christian Speakman. Um, You know, if we're giving credit to the club for, for making the right change eventually, all right, there was that, there was those two games, that interregnum, I guess, between the two managers, which we, I think, I think universally think was a bad move and probably cost us any chance of, of automatic promotion. Christian Speakman, as sporting director, you know, it, it was his call, it's that underlying data that he was talking about um, as to why Lee Johnson was, was removed from the post. Gav, I just wanted your perspective really on... I guess Speakman's performance overall, both in terms of making the right call around Neil, but also the recruitment, which was clearly not driven by uh, Lee Johnson over over the January period in particular, um, and whether you think that overall he he's 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 done his job, but he's he's achieved his goal, and and we should stick with him.
0: There's a really good piece up on the site, a roundtable piece, just specifically looking at this uh, topic around Speakman and whether we think he did a good job, which people can check out. But from my perspective, in that piece, I, I said that I am a little, bi- I feel a little bit reluctant and I, I can't really explain why, but I feel a little bit reluctant to go all in and say, yeah, he did a good job this year or, or even the other way. I'm just a bit on the fence still. And that's strange because ultimately the, the decision to, to change the manager paid off. Um, I think, t- to be fair... I'd be wrong to expect a flawless job from Christian Speakman because we're all human. We all make mistakes and there's definitely been some mistakes. And ultimately the goal was to get promoted and we've been promoted. Um, I just think that there were some hairy moments that could have been avoided. And those hairy moments, Warriors, I, th- I think if we hadn't have been promoted, we'd probably be sat here now talking about needing to change in that position in that sporting director position, I don't think fans would be particularly enamoured with, with him staying around. So that's the fine line that we're walking here, is that ultimately the way that we got promoted has probably saved his skin. But the, the decision to change Lee Johnson, that's multifaceted, isn't it? Because ultimately who really pushed for that change? Was it just Speakman? Was it Kirill? Was it other people behind mm. the scenes on the board? Was it Was it... Was it the likes of Charlie Methven and Stuart Donald? As some people mooted, that they were still having the same proceedings? We don't know. But I guess because we don't know, we can only assume that him as the sporting director, that decision fell on him. And I guess you could say it worked. You know, I don't think... I remember when I heard the news that Lee Johnson had lost his job. I was actually surprised. I was at Bolton the day before. And the, it mm-hmm. was terrible. It was the. I think as results go, that's the worst result in Sunderland's history. To lose 6-0 in the third tier against a, a team who I think at the time were maybe 15th or 16th in the table. that th- th- There's never been a worse result yeah. in our history, ultimately. So I wasn't surprised when Lee Johnson lost his job. And Christian Speakman, if it was Christian Speakman who pushed for that change, he had big balls to make that decision. And you've got to say it, it, it paid off. But there were other things, weren't there, involved in this? I mean, there was the whole scenario with Jermaine Defoe signing and the word we were getting back was that Lee Johnson didn't want Defoe and other people at the club did. And it was no coincidence that once Lee Johnson was gone, Defoe was signed pretty quickly, you know, and and we know how that turned out. He lasted, what, six weeks and then he decided to retire. Other things such as some contradicting interviews he did during the season, which didn't really help him. He'd have probably been better off staying quiet. But then there's the positives to it. I I think ultimately the recruitment this year was very good. Best recruitment we've probably had in since we came into League One. But again, how much of that is down to him? Stuart Harvey's came into the club, is the head of recruitment. I don't know if that's his official title, but that's basically what he does. And ever since he's came in, we've made some really astute signings. I think, the, for instance, getting Alex Pritchard to come and play in League One was a big one. But I think even Pritchard himself said that it was mainly down to Lee Johnson that Johnson told him, I'll make you fall back in love with Mm -hmm. football. And he came to Sunderland on that basis. Um, Danny Bart coming from Stoke on 25 grand a week as one of their top earners to play for Sunderland on 6 grand a week and to become a very important player for us as the season grew. Brilliant piece of business. Getting Patrick Roberts to drop the league one when he's got experience of pretty much every decent top (laughs) league in Europe, it seems, and playing in the Champions League with Celtic and so on. That was a great piece of business. I think ultimately the business we've done this year has been very good. You know, at different parts of the season, Callum Doyle. Um, I know you didn't play so much under Alex Neil, but in the first part of the season, was really important to how we played, and, and yeah, I could go on and on and on and on. I think that ultimately the recruitment was really good this year, and I think would be um, I think it would be unfair to put that just down to Speakman because there were a lot of other players in the background as we've I've just said. Lee Johnson had a part to play in it. Um, I imagine Alex Neil may have had some part towards the end of January to play in in one or two things, I don't know, because although he wasn't really in the job, I I would imagine he had some say in what players were signed. There's, There's a lot of people who deserve credit, so I've went the long way around saying it, but Christian Speakman, I think, yeah, a decent job. I'm just still on the fence. I don't want to go all in on that. I think he's probably got a little bit more proven to do with us before we start. Saying yeah, that, he he's done a really good job this year.
1: Where do you stand on it, Chris? Uh, particularly on the kind of the recruitment side, because he's broken his silence because he hadn't really said anything since uh, since the appointment of Alex Nail, mm. which is probably very sensible. But he's broken his silence. He's been talking about kind of future plans of recruitment. We will come on to the retention and uh, and the kind of the departures. List. Uh, do you think there's there's been a well executed plan in terms of improving the squad? Which I guess overall, when you look at the role of the sporting director, it's to improve all of the football side of the club from the you know the 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 men's and the women's side, under 23s, all the age groups, but all in 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 with the aim of getting the senior teams, you know, moving up through the leagues. Do you think that? in that respect he he has significantly achieved you know that that goal of improving the quality of football that we've got
2: well i mean if you're if you're christian speakman and and anybody throws any sort of criticism your way you can just turn around and say well in in his first full season as director of football son and he got us out of league 1 mm-hmm. that is the bottom line that that he, he, you know he can he can just come back with that reply you know that with him as as you know leading the way in terms of recruitment putting that team together he got us out of league one so he can just come back with that reply and if you look at the state we were in last summer when all of those players who all you know senior players you look at max power you look at charlie white going on to win the win the league mm-hmm. title in league one they were good players and you looked at the quality of players that we just released because we wanted to start again i said at the time it was a massive risk it could have gone horribly wrong if they didn't get that recruitment because they got rid of some really good players at that level. It, you know, and they got close with us. You know, they did get close yeah. to getting promoted with Sunderland. So, and we click, we got, kind of cleared the board and started again. So, if you look at that as, as Gav said, that that recruitment last summer, and not just to, you know, he didn't go out and go get specialized League One specialists. He got a, you know, that he got young players, not just from this country, but from around Europe where, and I think I said at the time, we we had like a squad of 21 players. And if you looked at that squad, like seven, really seven of that, so a third of the squad, were playing their first full season, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, mm. that they'd ever played in their careers. So that that was a massive risk he took.
0: Something else that we haven't really talked about with, when we talked on the subject managers, the length of time it took from sacking Lee Johnson to appointing Alex Neal, T- that's another thing I think slightly taints the 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 overall perspective on Speakman is that it wasn't very clear who they wanted to replace Lee Johnson with ultimately was it? No.
2: Well, I was I was going to come onto that because they, they you know he, he he turned that squad around in the summer and then and then you know he he obviously turned you know in January he had the whole four thing which you can put as a as a bit of a you know, negative against his recruitment and all that sort of stuff that they went all out. But I'm I'm not 100% sure that that was completely Speakman. Like like you said, Gav, there's other people involved and the profile of the club is a, is a different matter, you know, as well as what players you bring in. So, I mean, there was that. But like I said, the whole recruitment, getting rid of Lee Johnson, I mean, like I said, with, with what Simon O'Rourke said after, you line people up. If you're going to make the change, you line it up. You know exactly what's going to happen next you don't you don't get rid of a manager and have a free for all and then lose two games while while in the process but like i said the 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 thing that now kind of concerns me is they've gone down the before they went down, down a route of Christian speaking work with Lee Johnson Lee Johnson for me is a type of you know is that one who you, who you can describe as a as more of a first team coach than than a manager I look at Alex Neil and i think he's a manager I look at Lee Johnson yeah. i think he's a first team coach that's why they went for Lee Johnson because he's working with the director of football. And you saw last summer with the the photographs of the two of them together, you know, thumbs up and all this sort of stuff in the office. Well, I don't think Alex Neal's not going to be like that. Alex Neal's going to, he knows the players he's been there and done it in the championship. He knows what players he wants. And if Christian Speakman tells him we're going down this road to get this, this sort of player. And Alex Neal doesn't think that's going to work in the championship. There's going to be a clash there.
0: Yeah, and I think ultimately the, the manager has to hold the sporting director accountable as much as the sporting director holds the manager accountable. And I think you're, you're, you're more likely to get that with the relationship between Neil and Speakman than you are Johnson and Speakman. Johnson was mm. very much happy to be at Sunderland, happy to work with the tools he's got his guys disposal, which to a degree works, certainly in League One that'll work. But when you're a club looking to make the next step up, I think your manager needs to have a little bit more about them and has has to be able to go into these meetings with the sporting director and lay down a marker and put his foot down and say, no, I'm not having that. I'm not having that. I'm not having that. This is what I want. This is my idea. You know, and I'm sure Lee Johnson will have had them conversations, but as the, as the Defoe scenario showed us, mm. he lost his job when it came down to that. He didn't agree with the signing of Defoe and he lost his job and we signed him. Now, when faced with a similar situation – would it, would, that, would that occur with Alex Neil? I'm not so sure. I think, if anything, he would walk away. He would walk away if he didn't feel like he was getting what he wanted. And they know that, and that makes him very valuable to us because he'll get a lot more than perhaps other types of managers would when it comes to negotiating what he actually wants, particularly next season in the Championship. He's going to want a certain profile of player. He's probably going to want to bring in players he's worked with before, which doesn't suit the Speakman model whatsoever. Yet, I think he'll get his own way, purely because he now holds all the bargaining chips, doesn't he? He is the man. He's just got sunned out of League One. They need to back him. And that's where the relationship really interests me. I I mean, Hmm. I I think on the face of it, it's safe to say they're very different types of people aren't the Christian Speakman and Alex Neal. And maybe that's not such a bad thing.
2: Yeah, but but they've made it easy. I mean, Speakman came out the other day and it was like, uh, you know... He kind of waved it past the talking about Alex Neal's contract and saying, "Well, yeah, he's on a rolling contract till till February," and the the scenario that you've just described, Gav, the rolling contract makes it easier for him if something isn't quite right or he doesn't like something, especially while he stocks high, just to say, "Right, well, there's clubs out there in the championship, right? See you later." we know we disagree on that, it's not the way I want to go. So so I'm off, and the the rolling contract yeah. makes it easier for him just to say right, I'm aware, we don't really need to tie anything up, I'm off.
0: And by the way, and likewise, Chris, just to add in on that, it means if things go pear-shaped, which they often do with managers, even ones that have been successful, it yeah. makes it very easy for the club to cut ties and it doesn't cost them a lot of money. I know we, we ultimately, that's looking very short-term, but it's entirely possible that we get to October or November and things have took a downturn. It's entirely possible. We've been Southern fans for long enough. We've seen it happen. <laughs> We've how many times in the Premier League did we think we got it right with a manager, and then by October, November, they were out of a job. You know, it it, it happens in football. And when I, I saw a few people grumbling about the whole the contract situation with Alex Neil and how the length of the deal and stuff, and to me, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing the way that they've structured it. If both parties are happy, if the club are happy and Alex Neil's happy with the way that is deal works, then let them crack on because. You know, I don't always think giving a manager three, four years keeps them hungry. Anyways, to be honest, it, That's it, a good it, point. it's a comfort blanket. They know if they get sacked, they've got they've got money coming to them, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. At least in this situation, it keeps everybody on their toes, keeps everyone hungry, and if worst comes to worst, it's not going to kill the club financially. We're getting rid of them, essentially.
1: Yeah, completely. Um, and it kind of brings us to our next point about about contracts, about you know retaining people letting people go the retained list was announced some big name departures but I don't think very many many shocks in that obviously in McGeady leaving the club is prob- probably the the the, the biggest Well, it certainly is the biggest 150 games for the club um and and a great servant also uh, Lee Burge um leaving the club as well uh, our Bennett Jamaj Lee. And 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 the Lawrie's returning as well, Chris. What what's your view on on both the kind of the people we've let go, but also those three contracts that have been offered to people coming to the end of it, and uh, Lyndon Gooch, uh, Billy Wright, and and Patrick Roberts.
2: How how can you not mention our record signing in League One? has been released in the summer. <laughs> of all the players you mentioned there, you didn't mention our biggest signing.
0: To be fair, Chris, the club never really made a song and dance with either, did they? No, he, was just no, sort of, no. he was sort of just pinned on the bottom <laughs> of the list, like, oh, by the way, Will greg has gone. Shove that one under the carpet <laughs> a little bit.
2: <laughs> I'm surprised it wasn't on a different list, to be honest, just to, so <laughs> nobody noticed his, his name was on it. But yeah, I mean, God, that that's, uh, that, that uh, brings the end to that saga, doesn't it? That Will greg, uh, is is gone. Um, but yeah, no, no, no surprises on that list at all. Um, you know that Eden a big one, but again, I don't think anybody was shocked or surprised by that. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm not surprised he's playing on as well. I don't know whether it's uh, confirmed he's gone to Hibs, but it looks like he's gone up there with Lee Johnson, which probably isn't a surprise either. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I was more surprised with last last season's when we we got rid of when all those kind of more senior players weren't weren't offered contracts. Um, Lyndon Gooch, uh, Patrick Roberts and Bailey Wright um, all being offered contracts. Um, yeah, I, ho- I hope obviously they, they all sign on. I mean, I think that I think all three of those could make the step up to the to the championship quite easy. They've all played there um, before or played even at a higher level. Um, so, so, yeah, I hope uh, they sign on. I can see all three of them uh, signing on. It just with Patrick Roberts, it just depends what offers he's got from from elsewhere. Mm. It'll be interesting because I think there's going to be a bit of a dilemma for Patrick Roberts. He's happy probably for the first time on the pitch playing regular football in his life. But if he gets a better offer, it's going to be that, you know, does he does he stay where he's comfortable? Maybe go for a bit more money, but I don't know. It's going to be an interesting one with Roberts. He's the only one of the three I'm kind of to and fro on whether he, he'll actually sign on again. But uh, but the other two, I'm i I'm pretty confident. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, that, that leaves us with a good core. Um, going into next season, and uh, it means it means we don't need a huge overhaul of players either. Um, so I think we're just going to be quite selective and be kind of precise in in the recruitment with kind of specific
0: areas where we need to strengthen. I think.
1: Yeah, we are. We are. We are short in some areas, aren't we?
0: Yeah, the only one I think, and this probably won't go down well at the minute. The only one I wasn't too sure on was Lyndon Gooch. Um, t- to me, it felt as though he only started playing. When he realized that he might not get a deal, when he realized his performances hadn't warranted a new deal, he then started to really graft really and and that might seem harsh because he is a good character. he's played pretty much every position on the pitch this season, he's played wherever any manager has told him to play, and, and that's great, and I think he's a brilliant character. I love just how much he loves the club, but ultimately, we have to be i I, I just wonder, do we have to be a little bit more ruthless with our decision making when we go up a step? is Lyndon Gooch going to be good enough? Time will tell. He can play a couple of positions. You know, as a backup player, he'll be fine, I think. Um, but the thing that just concerned me a little bit about Gooch was the fact that he only really started playing for a new contract towards the end of the season. Like, where was that lending Gooch all season? Had he played like he did in that run-in and in the final and in the semi-finals and stuff, had he played like that all season, I would have had no doubt in my mind that he was worthy of a new deal. But I think we're probably, as a collectively were maybe looking at the um, the performances towards the end of the season and f- sort of forgetting about the start of the season, the middle of the season, uh, because he was so poor, he generally was. I think I think in my mind, that's probably the worst season he's had for Sunderland. I don't think he scored a goal, handful of assists maybe. Um, you, you expect a little bit more from Lyndon Gucci if he's going to make the step up. But I think a big part of next season's thinking will be we need a lot of characters in the team to ensure we don't go straight back down. That's the first aim. I know that me and a lot of other fans are expecting us to do a little bit better than that. But ultimately, the most important thing next year is we don't get relegated. And that's going to be um, probably by having a squad of lads who Alex Neil can really trust, people who people who he knows can lead the dressing room. And by all accounts, that's what Lyndon Gooch has done. Him, Bailey Wright, Danny Bart, Corey Evans, Luke O'Neill, And they've become the leaders in the dressing room. And um you could see how much it meant to him when he when he was talking about the club after the game. You know, he what he he still wasn't sure whether he was gonna get a new deal even at Wembley. And that kept him hungry and that's probably a big motivator in some of them performances at the end. Um Bailey Wright, I think, inevitably would have got a new deal. Funny though, isn't it, when you think back to the summer, he was Ian mark was gone pretty much. I think most of us mm-hmm. were happy for him to leave. He looked like he was gonna to go to Wigan. And he's another one since Alex Neal came in who's just became really important. I think it was that game at, um, at Wigan away where he scored really early in the game. And from then on, he's just been outstanding. The, the centre-half that we thought we were getting before he, he kept picking up daft injuries, been outstanding. Patrick Roberts is another one when you look at it. He hasn't played a lot of football in the last year until he came to Sunderland. And then it took a while for him to get up to speed. But as you saw in the final, he is not a League One player. He's a, lead, yeah. he's a championship player. He, he could even be a, a top-end championship player. I think it was um, – it might have been Kevin Phillips. or Actually, it was Max Power on our podcast, wasn't it, who said that our front four would cause problems for teams in the championship at the top end. And oh, yeah, you very yeah. much think of Roberts in that bracket. Um, but other than that, I think if you look at the the players we've released, there's no major shocks. I know that people had a lot of affection for Aidan McGeady, but – You know, he hasn't played a great deal of football in the last two or three years for Sunderland. One from being frozen out by Phil Parkinson, and then two this year. Injured from November onwards, you know, he was never going to stay, was he? And I think it's probably best for him if he goes somewhere and plays regular football because he won't get that here. Um, Arben at another one. Injuries have probably killed his time off at Sunderland. One I had a, a bit of hopes for. Uh, further down the list, Jordan Willis, another player injuries. If he'd stayed fit, mm-hmm. he would. I, I remember thinking he's the best defender in League One at one point. But yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I, I sensed a bit of disappointment from fans about um, the way that we just let him go. But and I heard a guy on Total Sport; he was re- pretty strong in his belief we should have retained him. But to me, if a, if a lad's been out two years, we can't afford to carry him on another deal. Um, we have to be more ruthless in that. And fair play to Jordan if he plays again, I'd just be very surprised if he does. Lee Burge hasn't played a lot, um, and then Will Grigg. Well, we know Griggs had a move lined up to Rotherham. I think since he went there, so he's going to go to Rotherham and probably play against so us next season in the championship. Rather unbelievably, because he is nowhere near good enough. But their fans seem to like him, so you know I'm sure he'll be great for them when they go back down again. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there the, the was also the Loney's. I think uh, Leon Diacu, he here. We that's, we haven't touched on that, but Leon Diapu. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's a surprise, wasn't it, when everyone's seen his name on the retained list. Somebody who Alex Neal hasn't used at all, we've been forced into buying. Will he play next season? I don't think so. Um, Thorben Hoffman, not surprised he's been sent back because he hasn't played. And then the other three, I think I'd take all three of them back next season, even though I've spent quite a lot of time with uh, feeling annoyed at Jack Clark. I think you can see... With a little bit more time, there's he could a be a player. There. There's a player there. Nathan Broadhead, if he could stay fit, is definitely championship quality. And then Callum Doyle is, what, 18-year-old? You know, if you can get him uh, improving at the rate he seemed to be improving at this season with us, having had all of those big experiences and big games, he could well be a championship player. So there's a, I think ultimately that list is... There's nothing wrong with it, is there? It's it's pretty much as we expected.
1: Yeah, The thing for the thing... From, the thing... I keep coming back to is how we recruit a, a player as good as Nathan Broadhead again. Um, are there are there that many players at Premier League clubs who who who, who are looking for a long move, or that we could pick up on a free from elsewhere, mm-hmm. or, or or we could spend some money on who've got quite that kind of level of football intelligence and all round forward. Ability that that Nathan Broadhead does because I think he's just been such a a revelation when he's been on the pitch. You know his form and his you know his goal scoring record is 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 fantastic. But I'll,
2: I'll put a question to you, Rich. With his with his injury record this season, would you risk spending quite a decent wedge of money on getting him permanently? Because you know you're taking a massive risk there. Do you do you go for someone who's maybe not as good but? It hasn't got that injury with, you know, hasn't got that record with injuries and he's going to be fit for a full season if you're going to take the risk and spend money on getting another striker permanently because that, that's one area we need to strengthen. We've only got Ross Stewart to, to bang the goals in up top. We need another striker. If you're going to go out and get I think broadhead, it's a massive risk if you spend a lot of money on him.
1: I think we need another two at least yeah. forwards but for for a championship season. I think it's obviously it's it's gonna be a calculation that you know we don't have all of the information on um in terms of like how how recoverable that that recurrent hamstring injury is. obviously he's had to pull out of the whale squad again, which is which is I'm sure a huge disappointment for him but for for me you know we've we've seen player like alex pritchard who's who's had his injury issues. Um, Corey Evans as well. Once they once they are fit and, and up and running, have really been able to show their quality for us. So I don't think injury should preclude the uh, a transfer and even putting some money behind it. But I do think obviously the medical staff going to have to be really um, careful about it. And I do think we need somebody else as well. I do. I think we need three, possibly four options up front uh, across the championship season. Gav?
0: Yeah. I w- just on that point you made before Rich when you said is you know, is it easy to basically sign a player as good as that? I would say it is, because if you look at if you look at Nathan Broadhead's record before he came to Sunderland, he'd scored two goals for Burton Albion the season before the one we signed him in League One, hadn't featured really for Everton at all. So he came out a bit of left field. I don't think any of us really knew much about him. And he did really well. And that just shows that these players do exist if they're given the opportunities. Um, I think one thing I would say is that the championship's a very different league. Obviously, Ross Stewart is built as a lone striker. We're going to need, we're going to need two strikers. Um, But I just wonder, are we going to be looking more at the calibre of an Alex Pritchard, of a a Danny Bart when it comes to recruiting than we are maybe these young kids from academy sides? Now we will, Mm. I would imagine, sign players from the, the 23 sides of the Premier League clubs or, sort of players on the fringes of Premier League clubs who are willing to make the step down to come to a big club in the Championship, which is what we'll be. And I think we'll probably find it a lot easier to recruit players than we have in the last four seasons, undoubtedly, because you don't have that risk of League One football hanging around you. So I think we are probably more likely to go out there and even look at Premier League clubs or teams who've just been relegated from the Prem or... Teams in the championship who have had big budgets in the last three years and now no longer have parachute payments, i.e., a Stoke City, like we did with Danny Bart. You know, they don't, they are not, they're no longer propped up by parachute money. They can't really afford to pay these lads the big money that they have in the last three years.
1: Stoke can afford to pay anyone anything. They've got, they've got the owners behind them who can just you, yeah, but then pump money in. But
0: then there's FPP, isn't there? And, well, French yeah. Fair Play, sorry. And, and you look at the way that we recruited, say Danny Bart, who was a regular in their team, but one of their top earners, and they had to get rid. What I'm saying is, is that there are there are options there now that weren't there before, maybe. And I like you, you can you can look at some of those teams that are either around the bottom end of the Prem or the teams who've just dropped out, and they've got players that they need to cut cut loose to who are on big money. And I think that's maybe where we can swoop in, like we did with Pritchard, like we did with Roberts, where these players are expendable to some of these clubs. Um, and we can maybe cut a decent deal for some good players.
2: Yeah. And ju- just on that, Gav, I mean, I think they'll have learned a few lessons this season, you know, taking players from academies and bringing them in on loan. I mean, <laughs> you mentioned Callum Doyle. Callum Doyle looked like a world beater at the start of the season. He looked absolutely fantastic. We, we were all saying, well, how can you drop him, 17, 18 year old, and all this sort of stuff? And I remember saying that I can't, I, I, I didn't think that Man City would want him playing 46 games this season. And in the end, you could see him burning out after kind of 20, 25 games that he was kind of struggling. So I think they'll have learned a lot about whether to take players from academies and 17, 18 year olds and all of that sort of stuff versus the players you're, you're talking about, Gav. So hopefully this season for Speakman and the recruitment team, it's been a bit of a learning curve and, and we'll get it right this summer.
1: Yeah, the other thing from the retained list was the release of quite a significant number of um the under 23 squad. And, you know, a lot of players who we thought might have a ha, have a chance, people like Tyrese Dice, people like that, um, who, who haven't been kept on. Um, and so it's going to be a really busy summer actually across the whole, across the whole club, across all the different squads as well, because I know there's, you know, it's going to have to be movement in the 23s, in the women's squad as well. They're going to be bringing in new players and players you know, trying to develop all aspects of the football club. Gav, do you want to come in for one last yeah, point? Yeah,
0: yeah, just on the 23s, Rich. I think now we've jumped up a league. It changes how, how that sort of works, doesn't it? One, we probably have a bigger budget to recruit better players. Two, there's probably going to be less room in the senior side for young lads to get a chance, unfortunately. Um... And three, we just—I think—we've had to be more ruthless. We've probably had to look at lads like Patrick Almond, who a lot of us thought might make a step up, and mm-hmm. and so on, and thought, well, maybe you know, now we've jumped in the league. Are these lads ever really going to be the championship players? Probably not. Probably for their benefit that we let them go. You know, Tyrese Stice, Will Harris, these these lads who have probably stood out a little bit more. They're ultimately not going to be good enough for where we're going. So it's best for them if we let them go. And I think the approach from the twenty-three side of things now is probably to just progress the under-18s players into the 23s and and maybe see if we can get some of the better players out on loan as well. Um, so that's, that's maybe where they're looking at. I think that retained list might have been a little bit different had we not got promoted. There might have been one or two that got an extra year. So they'll be feeling a little bit hard done by. But I think, like I said before, ultimately, it's not a great surprise. And really, when you look at the performance of the 23s this year, it hasn't been good enough. They've lost too many games. And you know, they're gonna be looking at that and thinking, Yeah, we need we need a reset in the summer. So best of luck to those lads, of course, they're gonna go and probably play senior football somewhere else and I'm sure they'll be back to haunt us if they're any good.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. I got like John Egan kind of yeah. uh, <laughs> going through Meet my a Mandron. Head minute, like Mandron was yeah. what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um so um thanks to you both for your time this morning. It's been no a problem. long one. But uh, Cheers, plenty of positive stuff to talk about um plenty of positive uh things on the rockreport.com website as well loads of interesting articles analysis uh, some views from fans as well about their experiences at Wembley so keep those coming in because they're really lovely to read actually and 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 and, and kind of re- really emotional and some great pictures out there as well so keep sharing your stuff from Wembley let's keep this positivity going uh, let's keep the momentum going over the summer. I'm sure we'll be back with another pod soon. So thanks a lot for your time this morning, Chris. Cheers, Rich. Enjoyed it. And cheers, Gav. No bother, me, Thanks. And we'll speak to you soon. Sarah.